0: thankful for where I get to wake up almost every Sunday of the year and preach. I love the church we're a part of. I love our mission. I love our vision. So for those of you who are longtime members, new members, first-time guests, or joining us on live stream, welcome to Sycamore View today. Three names that I think are the coolest names in the entire Bible, maybe in the world's existence, are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The names are so cool. No one's like, you don't know any friends called Shagar, Meshach, and Abednego because you can't duplicate them. You can find this in the book of, of Daniel. In Daniel chapter one, and these weren't their original names, they had other names, and then they, they're, they're Jewish people who were now captives in a place called Babylon, and they're in this new country. Uh, they were given new names. And and we're even before this whole thing in Daniel Chapter three, and go home later, if you've never heard this story, go home and read Daniel One, two, and three, especially Chapter three, great story about these three people, but even before you get there in chapter two, you're told why they were there and in the, this mission that was given them. In chapter 2, verse 49 of Daniel, it says, moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but that looks to be some kind of position with responsibility and with authority, that these weren't just captives, like they're slaves in a place, like people had respect for them. They're in meetings, making decisions. They're running things. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had power, they had authority, they had a position. The king's the one who appointed them, so they have access to the king. But then this thing happened where Nebuchadnezzar, in the second year of his reign... Decided he was gonna build this huge statue and have it built over 60, 70 feet tall. The thing was huge because there are people even today throughout the world who have a lot of power and they're running things and they, they wanna build big statues of themselves. And for, for Nebuchadnezzar, it wasn't just a matter of building a big statue, he sent out this edict that here's, here's what's gonna happen whenever the instruments begin to play. Everybody needs together. And when the instruments play, everybody has to bow down and worship this statue. Now, here's what Nebuchadnezzar didn't say. Nebuchadnezzar didn't say that you have to like forsake all the other gods that you worship in your life and and bow down. What, What the edict was that right now, in this moment, when the instruments play, you bow down and you worship. And when the instruments played, people bowed down. And they worship, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't. They refused to. And I don't know how the conversation went. There's so many things to admire about them in this story. But one thing I admire is when you read the story, it doesn't seem like this was a hard decision for them to make. It wasn't like they got together to discern what they should do or what the consequences would be. I mean, that, Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't do this, you're going to die. And it doesn't seem that, that one of them was like, well, if I mean, if y'all do it, I'll do it. Or, or are you going to do it? I mean, it, it seemed like a really easy thing for them to do, that there's no way they're going to forsake their oath and what they have made to God. So in the moment, they're not going to bow. And how the story goes is there's people who were worshiping, who actually saw them standing and reported them to the king. And all you have done this at some point in your life, when you're praying with family over dinner, and you open your eyes to see whose eyes aren't closed during the prayer. Right? I mean, we do this with our kids sometimes. If Do you pray with your eyes open? And our kids are like, how do you know my eyes were open if your eyes were open? Your eyes were open too. So somebody's bowing in worship, but their eyes are like looking around, and we do this all the time, right? Looking around who, who's misbehaving, who's not doing it, and then they they tattle on them. They report them to the king. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go before Nebuchadnezzar and they're asked about like why they weren't doing this and their consequences to pay, and they're about to die. And here's what they say Chapter 3, 16, 18. Shagrat, Meshach, Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who who we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if God does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have made. We're going to be true to our oath no matter what. Like, they're not falling for the propaganda. They're not falling for the fear and the manipulation. They're true to their confession. They're true to their oath. And here's the thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They lived in a kingdom... And they worked in a kingdom, but they refused to bow down to the kingdom. They lived in it, worked for it, but they weren't going to bow down to it. So here's my question to us today. If Shagrach, Meshach, and Abednego are willing to do this, to say true to their oath and their confession, how much more should followers of Jesus double down on our oath and our confession of Jesus being the Lord of our lives and we're not going to bow down to any others? Because this is hard, man. We're living in a culture now where every single day you're going to have commercials coming at you and advertisements coming at you, yelling and screaming, saying, worship me, bow down to me, give your allegiance to this, pay attention to this. And if you don't, here's, here's what you need to be afraid of. And this is always happening. And we live in a time when it's really hard to stay true to following Jesus, especially while we're living in a polarizing culture. So here's what I did this past week. I went to my Google engine, and I put in there, most unlikely friendships. And I just wanted to see, like, who are some of the most unlikely friendships, maybe in Hollywood, throughout the world, throughout history. So I put in there, most unlikely friendships, and I wanted to see what images appeared, and here are the images that appeared. I put in most unlikely friendships, and here's what you found. And I kept scrolling, and I kept scrolling, and it was all animals. <laughs> and I'm sure some of them were Photoshop, Like one of them was a lion and a bear who were like cuddling. And I'm like, I don't know if that would happen. But a lot of these are like, man, I've seen that before. I've seen a dog lay down with deer. I've seen dogs and bunnies and dogs and cats. And, but I thought it was funny. Like Google's response to me asking for most unlikely friendships, it's almost like Google's response was human beings aren't able to do this. <laughs> Now, animals, they may eat each other too, but but animals can do it. So, I went back to the Google Engine search engine, and I put most unlikely human friendships, hoping something else would appear, and they did. I didn't know Ulysses S. Grant, the primary leader of the Union Army, was best friends with James Longstreet, who fought for the Confederacy, who didn't talk during the war because they went to different sides, but... When the South surrendered, like the day of, James Longstreet approaches Ulysses S. Grant. And the way the story goes is they shook hands and they sat down and they started playing cards together. I don't know if you knew that C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were really good friends. In fact, C.S. Lewis as Tolkien, who's the Lord of the Rings guy... C.S. Lewis says he's the reason, he's the person, he's the one God used to bring C.S. Lewis back to faith. And C.S. Lewis was in on a book club where they would share all these ideas with each other, helping Tolkien develop what has become the Lord of the Rings. And then, I don't know how this next couple, I don't know how they they hooked up. I mean, the world's kind of crazy if you go to the next image. I don't know how Martha Stewart and Snoop (laughs) D-O-W-G... hit this whole thing off and became friends. And I've never watched the show, so I don't know. But I I guess food can bring people together from all different different walks of life. I remember last Thanksgiving, I was sitting down with my family watching the Dallas Cowboy game. That's what we do on Thanksgiving with my family. We're watching it. And there's this one, they came out of a commercial break. And it wasn't a still shot, but we sat there and we watched this next image for a few moments. And it was of George Bush, sitting next to Ellen DeGeneres. And I remember watching that. And then I watched for the next 24 hours. And even if you don't like football, you probably saw this on social media. Because it blew up. People didn't know what to do with this. There are no categories for it. Because what you had is you had those who were kind of in the Bush camp, who were like, how dare Bush? Bush. Hang out with her. And then you have Ellen, who is this one of the most famous people in the world, who's married to a partner. And you have people who are upset with Ellen. Like, how dare, how could she be with him? They they don't believe about the same things. They're, They're politically, they're in different places. How can they be friends? They shouldn't be friends. And both of them had to come out with a statement, Ellen's statement. The next time her show came on was this. Here's the thing, she said. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay. When I say be kind to one another, be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way you do. I mean be kind to everyone. It doesn't matter. And Bush's camp put out a statement, President, Miss, President and Mrs. Laura Bush really enjoyed being with Ellen and appreciated Ellen's comments about respecting one another. They respect her, and they're like having to put out these comments. And we live in this world where sometimes we don't know what to do. It's so polarizing. And I, I hesitate to ever make statements like we're more polarized than we've ever been. I didn't live during the Civil Rights Movement. I didn't live during the Civil War. I didn't live during the Middle Ages, but we're pretty polarized, and social media doesn't help. And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus while we live in this polarizing culture? Because just this past week, President Trump won't shake Pelosi's hand. And there were those who were like, well, I wouldn't shake her hand either. She's a Democrat. She doesn't have a soul. <laughs> and then you have those who are like, man, Pelosi like tears up Trump's speech. And there, there are those who were like, I would have torn up the speech too. It's Trump. He's heartless. And it just goes back and forth, back and forth. And whether we believe it or not, we fall into the polarization much more than we want to believe. So, um, 2,000 years ago, Jesus launched this group of people called the church. And just in the 12 people Jesus called together, they were extremely different. different. And he called them into the, the same group... With, asking them to make a same oath of that Jesus will be the Lord of your life and nothing else will. And just in those 12, you had a tax collector who worked for Rome. You had fishermen who some say they were taxed up to 75 to 90 percent of what they made. So you got in those 12, a tax collector who's maybe even taxing or has taxed, maybe in Dishonest ways, the fishermen who were in that group. And in that same 12, you also have a zealot who was like anti government, anti Rome, forming militias, militia groups, like forming these grassroots movements, trying to take out Roman soldiers. And Jesus called them all into this same group, in spite of all of their differences, to make the same oath, same covenants, committed to Jesus, and launches them to change the world. And it worked. He launched a force, and the force was rooted, and we sometimes forget this, rooted in what was an upside-down kingdom with awareness of earthly kingdoms. And if we're not careful, what happens is we form allegiances to earthly kingdoms with an awareness of the eternal kingdom, instead of our allegiance being to the eternal kingdom with some awareness of the earthly kingdoms, So, here's what I want to do over the next three weeks. I want to revisit a sermon series I did last February, just with the same name. Last February, I spent four weeks in a series called Taboo, it is the most listened to sermon series I've done in five years. I preached a sermon on sexual abuse and the Me Too movement, I preached on mental health, mental illness, suicide, depression, I preached a sermon on immigration. The Sermon on Sexual Abuse, within a week, I had over 75 responses from women of all ages, both within Memphis and outside of Memphis, who had a story to share, confessions that they were making. And the next three weeks, they probably not going to be as controversial as what I did last February, but I want to take time today to talk about what it means to follow Jesus in a polarizing culture. I want to spend the next couple of weeks just talking about what does it mean for us to value life, and I don't want to spend a sermon talking about purity and righteousness and holiness and what that means for us today. Here's one of the beautiful things about Sycamore View, and one thing I love about this place is in this church, even today, we have Republicans, and we have some diehard Republicans, and we have some Republicans who are kind of on the fringe, And we have Democrats. We have diehard Democrats. We have some Democrats who are kind of on the fringe, I mean, kind of right there on the fence. We have Republicans. We have Democrats. We have Independents. We have Libertarians. We have Librarians. I mean, we have a lot of different people right here in our group. We have some people who just do not care. Like, they don't care. Either they don't care because they're lazy, or they don't care because they're just so fed up with the whole thing. Now, I've had people meet with me before, especially early on in Memphis, and they would sit down with me and they would say, So you're a Republican, right? And I would say, What makes you think I'm a Republican? And I'm not lying. A couple more, multiple times this happened. People would say, What? Republicans are Christians and you're a Christian, so <laughs> you're a Republican. Like, that's just how some people think. And my response was, I don't want to bust your bubble, but I, I'm not a Republican. And there are times I've sat with people and they're like, You're a Democrat, right? And I'm like, Why would you, just why, why would, why, what makes you think that? Why would you say it? And they're like, Well, we, we see sometimes that you're a part of, groups and meet throughout memphis city leaders and sometimes church leaders and and some of the agendas that are being discussed in some of those meetings align more with the democratic party and i tell them i'm I'm not a democrat either i i call myself now politically homeless i'm just politically homeless but it doesn't mean i don't care i do care I do keep up with what's going on in the world, and I want to be educated on the issues that are facing us today and that are going to face us in the years to come. But currently, I'm politically homeless. All of them, I just don't see them aligning with everything God is about. So here's my challenge, both as a disciple of Jesus, but even more so as a preacher and as a church leader, both here and some of the, the places God has allowed me to speak into throughout our country. Um, here's one of the challenges, and I've placed this in front of you before. One of my challenges is to encourage followers of Jesus to always remember that there was a primary lens in your life and there was a secondary lens in your life. And the primary lens needs to be a lens of faith and devotion to Jesus, a commitment to Jesus, your oath. And it's so easy for those to be flipped to where the primary lens of your life becomes your party affiliation, your political issues, to where faith is the secondary lens. The way Andy Stanley and some others say this is you have a faith filter and you have a political filter. Where the faith filter is your daily devotion to Jesus, your oath, your confession, your baptism, your commitment, what you were called to be about, the kingdom you swear allegiance to, and that your political filter needs to be engaged through your faith filter, but it becomes, becomes so easy to flip those to where your political filter becomes your main filter. And here's the thing. Most people think they've already done this. Most people think they've done it. But one of the questions to ask if you're really there, is if your idea of God's kingdom reflects more your political characteristics, the characteristics of your political party than it does the life and teachings of Jesus, your political lens is in front of your faith lens. So, I run this risk, and I I almost want to apologize. I think I do want to apologize today. I don't know if I've ever said something like this in the past, but I I probably have. It sounds like something maybe I've said. And something along the lines of, you know, we run the risk of being divided by things that are trivial. And sometimes maybe I've said this, and sometimes church leaders have, of, hey, the issues we fight about really aren't that big of issues. Like, we need to come together, and we need to care about the gospel. And you know what? If I've said that in the past, I'm sorry, because I think the way I want to say it now... And the way I've been encouraged to think about this is we run the risk, as the church, as Christians, of being divided by things that really are important. Important things. Things that impact how we live today, things that impact the next generation. We run the risk of being divided by really important things. This is, I mean, people care about health care and abortion. And they care about issues like the environment. And the list goes on. We care about these things. And I want to encourage you, care about them. I'm not asking you they don't care about them. Care about them. But if you have been baptized in the name of Jesus, your allegiance is not to President Trump and Trump's agenda. And your allegiance is not to a Democratic Party or a Republican Party or an independent party. If you've been baptized into Christ, your allegiance is to Jesus. And here's what often happens is our As our convictions grow and you become passionate about an issue, what happens is you become passionate about something, and sometimes because we're good people. Right? We're good people and we care about something and we become passionate about it. We become educated about it. And sometimes it leads to party affiliation where we find ourselves only hanging out with people who value the same things we do. And what happens is there is this teeter totter effect where we become passionate about something and we care and we care and we surround ourselves with people who care. And as we do, what happens is we find ourselves aligning with people who believe the same things we do. And what happens is the people who don't believe the same things we do, we look at that party and those people and think, well, they just don't have a soul. Like, they, they just don't love Jesus. They just don't pray. So you have Republicans who sometimes look at Democrats, and they're like, man, they just don't care. They may say they pray, but they don't pray. Like, they, they just don't have a soul. They're baby killers. And then it can go the other way, too, where Democrats are, are there's a Democratic agenda, and we believe in some of the issues that the Democratic Party may, may align with. And we look down at the other party, and there's so much demonizing and dehumanizing that goes on. And I know that even today, you're probably thinking, I don't, I don't worship a party. I don't bow down to it. I don't swear allegiance to it. But what, what, I, what I keep coming back to is this statement right here, that it is possible for us to live life as if our eternal allegiance is to Jesus, but our daily allegiance is to fill in the blank. Eternally, I want to be in heaven. But where my daily passion goes... It's to a party or something else. That eternally I want people in heaven, but I'm going to spend most of my time arguing with people about things that matter for an earthly kingdom, not a heavenly kingdom. And we want the eternal kingdom, but sometimes we forget that Jesus taught us to pray for a daily kingdom, for God's kingdom to come every single day. And here's how I know this happens. If what makes your blood boil... If what makes you super passionate about life, if the conversations about abortion or kids in cages or the environment or the economy, those are the conversations you find yourself in, even though they're good things, you find yourself in them, and that's what you're passionate about, and you want to help do something about it, but you listen to preachers or you read books on faith, and people may say, hey, in the next month, will you share Jesus with someone? And your response is, probably not going to happen. Or you see commands in the Bible of praying and fasting that show up over 70 times, and you think, probably not going to happen. Or commands of Jesus of loving your neighbor, and our response is, if we run into a neighbor at the mailbox, maybe it'll happen. And I know it sounds really negative how this is coming across, but if our, our mindset is the commands of Jesus are optional, but we find ourselves every day of our lives giving our attention, our affection, our allegiance to this, maybe it's in the wrong place. And we run the risk, look at this, we run the risk of falling into a way of life in which we are politically charged and religiously comforted. That what charges us are political issues, but we keep just enough of religion in our life to make us feel comfortable. I don't want any believer in Jesus that when they die, that friends and coworkers, that what they say is something like, that person loved the Memphis Tigers, and that person was a diehard Democrat. And I, I think they were a Christian. Or that person was a diehard Valls fan or Bama fan. They loved movies, and they were definitely a Republican. And I, I think they went to, didn't they go to church sometimes? I think they did. But that when we die, people are like, that was a man or woman of God. First and foremost above all things. I love the way Tony Evans says it. Tony Evans a while back said, Jesus did not come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. Jesus came to reign over it all. So Kip let us in a song earlier that's based on Psalm twenty verse seven about we aren't trusting in horses, and we're not trusting in chariots, and we're not trusting in military, we're not trusting in political parties. What we are trusting is the name of the Lord our God. Isaiah 31 verse 1 says it like this. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots, and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord you can go read Romans 13 that talks a lot about what a believer's relationship to the government and authority should be. But I want you to see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, here's what Peter writes to the church. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong. Let me stop real quick. Usually people love these verses like 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13, when their side wins. And if their side loses, their response is, well, what about when Hitler was in charge or Stalin was in charge? And here it is. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human authority. And Peter and Paul are writing in the time of Emperor Nero. Like when things weren't good for people. Verse 14, Order governors who are sent by God to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish. So live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, we get to have a conversation about civil disobedience and and some of the things that happen even in the civil rights movement or what it means to be the change or how we stand up against the powers of the world sometimes. And, And the system, how it's not always good and what it means to stand up against a system, we can talk about those things. But I think Peter or Paul, what they want Christians to know is as you navigate life, how are you going to behave? And what they keep coming back to are things like for God's will that by doing good, by modeling goodness, by holding on to righteousness. And even in verse 17, what you see in Romans 13 and here in 1 Peter, they go through things like respect everyone, love the family of believers, pay taxes, fear God, honor the emperor. In the Roman Empire, this statement will go a little further. Because what would come right after that, after you honor the emperor, is you worship the emperor. And Paul and Peter always stop short of that. So it's not just what's said right there in 1 Peter 2 or Romans 13. It's what's not said. And what's not said is that they, they refuse to go as far as others wanted to go of swearing allegiance and making your oath and confession to those people. In 1 Peter 2, 1 through 4, here's what Paul says here. I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, not just the ones you like all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. So 1 Peter 2, 1 through 4, your behavior and how you pray ultimately will have an impact on evangelism in the world. Because this is ultimately what God wants, people to be connected to Jesus. So my encouragement to you, engage in politics. Care. Care but offer allegiance to one kingdom. And know that this year, the power of fear and manipulation is coming for you. And you're going to be painted over and over again with worst case scenarios. And if you don't vote this way, the world's going to hell. And if you don't vote that way, power and manipulation is coming for you. And in my life, the people I'm able to walk with and pray with, who often are the people most struck with fear and anxiety and worry, are those who consume large amounts of media every day of their lives. And as the power of fear and manipulation are coming for you, let's just be encouraged today. We can rise above it. We can rise above it. We can put, fix our eyes on Jesus, daily make confessions to Jesus. We can do it. So here's how I want to end today. I want to give you six principles to live by in 2020. Six principles. And I hesitate to ever make guarantees from this stage. I guarantee if you will take just one of these six seriously in your life, you will live from a healthier place. And if you will do all six of these... By December, you will be able to write a book, and I want you to give me 10% of what you make. (laughs) Because you're going to be living from a much better place. Six principles in 2020. Number one is this. Daily, you need to make a prayer and a confession. And we have cards that are on these tables for you, and we've used these cards in the past. And what they have on it is Jesus is Lord and blank is not. And if you want to go grab a card, fill it out, place it in a basket for us to pray over, that's great. If you want to take it home, write in it, put it on a mirror, carry it in your wallet. Jesus is Lord and nothing else is. This needs to be a daily confession in your life and name it for what it is. Jesus is Lord, the Republican Party is not. Jesus is Lord, the Democratic Party is not. Jesus is Lord, President Trump is not. Jesus is Lord, my work is not. Jesus is Lord, my family is not. Jesus is the Lord of my life and every single day I want to honor this oath and confession. Number two is this, to dialogue with someone who votes differently than you. Dialogue and build a friendship with someone who votes differently than you. I am struck how many people I meet with inside the church and just throughout the city who may find themselves more liberal, but when I ask them if they hang out with any conservatives, their answer is no. Or people who are conservative, and if I ask if they have any progressive friends who they talk with about issues, they say no. And if we want to close some of the polarization happening, sit with someone who may believe different than you, not for the sake of arguing to them, but just listen to hear where they come from. And I think what some of you will find is that people who believe differently from you, they're not all bad people. There's a reason they think the way they do, and why they do. Number three, going traditional on you, invest in the church. Here at Sycamore View, you're not going to have anyone from this stage pushing one party's agenda. What we want to promote week in and week out is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And by investing in the church and or in a Bible class, or in a life group, or in a ministry, what you're doing is you're surrounding yourself every single week of your life with people who are singing songs, making confessions, studying the Bible so that you will be living from a much better place. Number four, invest and serve the poor. Get connected with the marginalized. Marginalized. With the unfortunate, make intentional efforts with yourself or your family. We have eight strategic partners. There are needs all over our city. And by doing this, you will live from a greater place of gratitude. And you will see that God is doing things every single day in this world. And it's pretty easy to be a part of it. And here's number five and six. And I think these are going to be the hardest for you. Number five is this. Fast from your new source. A 24-hour fast. Fast. Once a week, maybe some of you need to start with once a month, a 24-hour fast from Fox News or CNN or MSN. And if you cannot do it, know that there is an idol in your life. 24 hours without it. You may need a spouse or a child to hide the remote control. You may need a child to delete the app from your phone because you don't know how to do it. Uh, 24 hours of a news fast. Stay away from it you'll live from a healthier place. And number six, be ruthless about social media. I don't know any other word to use. Be ruthless about it. I'm not a believer that that, uh, no one's ever been, like their mind has been changed through social media. My mind's been changed sometimes by arguments I've seen on social media or articles people point to. But I do know this. Comment sections on social media is often where spiritual maturity goes to die. You need a 24-hour social media fast in your life. Don't get sucked into it. Stay away from it every once in a while for the sake of your own soul. Because I think what God wants of the church in December of 2020, after all the elections are over, I think what God wants is for your soul to be intact and for you to be able to look back on 2020 knowing that you did everything you could with God to love God with everything you have and to love people with everything you have. And a few thousand years ago, There's a guy named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who worked in the kingdom, cared for the kingdom, but refused to bow down to an earthly kingdom. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus launched a church and asked them to do the very same thing. And it begins with our daily confession, Jesus, you are Lord, nothing else is. So I'm asking today for elders and prayer leaders to go around the room to receive people. It could be to receive you for a once, like the first time you've ever made a confession of Jesus being the Lord of your life, Or people are surrounding this room to receive you for prayer, for needs, for blessings over you. Maybe you find yourself, that political lens is way too far in your life. Your your political filter is in front of your faith filter and you just need someone to pray for your heart and your mind to be set in the right place. We're going to sing a song about allegiance, about giving our hearts over to the Lord. And I'm just asking us as a church, as we sing this, this is a confession and a commitment that we are making for the year 2020. God, we are giving you our heart, our oath, our confession. It is to God and to nothing else. So let's stand together. Let's sing.